All right, so if you've been with us for the seven deadly sins, we've been in this series called Seven, and we just were talking about on the way here how powerful we feel like this series has been, how difficult it's been even for us. We'll be sitting at home preparing messages and going like, oh my gosh, did you read that part about this, 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 and it was like, oh, that's totally me. And so it's been a hard series. Has anyone felt like it's been a hard series? Like you've got some challenging moments and you realized that you thought you were not slothful, but in fact, your busyness, you might be experiencing some sloth. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to our podcast, and that'll just tear up your world. So <laughs> here we are, and we're on our last sin of the seven deadly sins. So if you've been here for a while, what is the sin that I'm going to talk about tonight? Come on, let's see. Thank you. You've been paying attention. That's fantastic. So we're going to talk tonight about gluttony, conveniently placed four days before Thanksgiving. You're welcome. And I don't know about you, but I think about gluttony occasionally. Like, it's not something I really think about. I think about food a lot, and now I realize that's probably gluttony. But um, (laughs) I think about uh, gluttony a lot around Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then when I feel a little fluffy. That's when I start, like, kind of thinking about gluttony. And so my understanding of gluttony has always been this idea of excessive eating. And just with, like, every sin that we've talked about, we've discovered that there's more to the story, right? And so most of us, though, we think of it like this, like we think about it like our Thanksgiving day. This is mine. I'm going to share it with you. So we start Thanksgiving out with all the appetizers, right? Because we have to eat appetizers before we eat the real meal. And usually we have about an hour break before the real meal is happening. And we continue to eat throughout that hour. And then we eat turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, rolls and rolls and rolls. Some people have a Cambodian American Thanksgiving. I didn't know that was a thing, but someone was sharing that with me today. And we, you know, whatever your favorite dish is, you just pile it on to the biggest plate you can find as large of amount as possible, right? Except unless you're me, which I don't like to mix my things. That's not a thing. Jason likes to literally pile it all in together and just eat it like, you might as well just put it in a blender and make a shake. <laughs> and, then, and then after dinner, we go through a one-hour break, also known as a food coma, where we're not sure if we're actually asleep or awake, but we just aren't able to function, right? And then we take um, a time to eat some dessert, right? And so at our house this year, we're having pumpkin loaf for dessert. That's Jason's choice. Um, I make pumpkin loaf around this time, and so that's his choice, so we're going to do that. And then we take another um, hour break or, or experience a sugar high, right? And then, we, and then we have to go back for more because who can clo- you cannot not close out Thanksgiving without a turkey sandwich, right? Like, that's just, like, not biblical. And so, <laughs> so I don't know about you, but my turkey sandwich looks like Grandma Sycamore's white bread. It's Utah made. Did someone just say, ooh? <sighs> this is not your temptation, clearly. <laughs> Grandma Sycamore's white bread with turkey, white turkey, white, the white breast on there, with salt, no pepper, I don't like pepper, and then mayo. And I know some of you want to add, like, cranberry. That's just too much. That's too far for me. But so i got to eat my turkey sandwich, and then I have a, a moment of reprieve while I watch a Christmas movie. Does anyone else watch a Christmas movie? And then probably I'm experiencing a bit of a rush during that time or, again, another co- a coma. And then, of course, we've got to go back for dessert round two. So this is all in, like, a five-hour session, right? So this is what we think of when we think of gluttony. We just think of overeating. We just think of excess and having too much. And some of you are like, thanks for ruining my Thanksgiving, well, don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you, you know, like when we go back to the Bible, actually in the Old Testament, there was lots of times of feasting. 
Okay, so Thanksgiving is a feasting time. It's a sacred time of community with our family and our friends. So be free, friends. Okay, <laughs> but I'll dig into the, really the why behind what is the real issue here with gluttony. Gluttony is a day-to-day attempt to fill up by experiencing pleasure through excess or extravagance. So the problem is when we are replacing what we truly need because we're not just flesh, and we'll get into that later, with what we should be getting from God ultimately, and we're replacing it with a temporary pleasure. And so that's where gluttony kind of plays a role in our life. As one person, Frederick Buchner, would say, he says, a glutton is one who raids the icebox. For those of us who don't know what an icebox is, that was known as a refrigerator once upon a time. So you'd raid a, a refrigerator for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. It's just like every other sin we've been talking about. Ultimately, it's the things that we get entangled in and the pleasures we seek after when we're really trying to fill a God-sized gap that can only be filled by him. And so that is gluttony. In some ways, this means it's a lot less about what you're eating and a lot more about why you're eating it. So the title of my message today is Full Bellies, Starved Souls. So um, a couple years ago, Jason and I decided to do this crazy thing called Whole30. If you've heard of it, you know how crazy it is. You have to go all out in this thing. There is a rule book. Not joking. And it is about like 160 pages big. And so we decided, okay, let's do Whole30. But we realized in doing Whole30 that we were going to have to make a commitment. One commitment was that we wouldn't be going out to eat with anyone. And that we wouldn't be going over to anyone's house because we didn't want to be those people who were like, (laughs) I can only eat this right now. Um, So we were like, okay, we're not going to do that. So for 30 days, we essentially locked ourselves in a house to cook meals (laughs) and eat right. And so in this time, I had ended up taking a trip last minute to New York City. Why would you take a trip to New York City when you're doing Whole30? Well, the reason I went there was for a color, it was called Color Conference. It's a women's conference done by Hillsong. And so go there to really ultimately just get some good connection and to praise Jesus and get some good words and just be encouraged. So I end up in New York City on Whole30. My friend's with me. She's like, you know, you should just pause on Whole30. That's the friend you don't really want to take with you when you're actually trying to achieve goals. She's not here right now, so I can tell, say that. Um, <laughs> but so, so anyway, I didn't pause. I was like, no, I have to do this. I can do it. I can commit to this. And so, and I'm the kind of person that when I go to any new place, all I want to do is eat food. Because I want to, I don't care about the Eiffel Tower. I want to eat all the pastries. Okay. <laughs> Like, I've seen the Eiffel Tower. We all have, okay? But, like, so I'm not that person. I'm the person that wants to try the, like, hole-in-the-wall restaurants and really get in the culture and the experience. So here I am in New York City, and I'm like, I can't do any of that unless I want to go eat at certain restaurants in certain ways. So you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? Okay, so here I am in New York City working through Whole30. Everywhere I go, I have to ask all these questions. What is that cooked in? How did you make that? Da, da, da. And so, and not things I don't like to do. And so I'm doing this. I'm committed to it. But what I found happening during that time as I look back on it is during that two to three days, I had a massive fixation on the extravagance of my Whole30 experience. So you remember I just said it's excess and extravagance. And this had become an extravagant moment of my life where I would be worshiping in 
this huge theater with thousands of women, missing an experience because I'm just thinking, what am I going to eat for dinner? <laughs> right? So I'm missing a moment of like being able to connect to God and community because I'm stuck and fixated on food and what I can and can't do and restrictions. And I'm not telling you, please don't hear that you're not, you shouldn't be trying to eat healthy. You shouldn't be trying to make good choices. In the Bible, we see feasting and we see fasting. There's moments for each, moments that each are appropriate. But what's the focus of each of those? In feasting, we see us often honoring God. Look at Christmas Eve, Christmas season, like all that time. We're honoring God. We're in Thanksgiving where we're thanking God for so much of what we have and celebrating in community with family and friends. And then in fasting, it's us saying, okay, God, I'm setting aside something to ultimately honor you. Right? So when we see it in a healthy way, we can see the biblical connotation of it, right? It's the problem is when we make it the idol of our life. When we run to it for a moment of pleasure or a quick fix or whatever it is. So let me explain quickly five forms of gluttony. And you can remember this as fresh. I feel like that's sort of ironic. I don't know why, but I just feel like you can't eat so many fresh vegetables that you're a glutton. So like, that's why I think it's ironic. Anyway, (laughs) so the first one is this, eating fastidiously. So you're very attentive to and concerned about accuracy and detail. This was my struggle for those two to three days in New York. Now, when I was home, it wasn't an issue, right? Because it wasn't all-consuming because we had a controlled environment, like where I knew what was to expect. But when I'm out here, I'm missing moments because I'm so focused on detail that I don't want to fail this thing, but I'm missing moments of connection. Then we have ravenously. Of hunger or need, very great hunger or need. E is excessively, which is to a greater degree or in greater amounts than is necessary, normal, or desirable. And so that's where your Thanksgiving, you might want to just check a few things. You might want to just be like, okay, do I really need this turkey sandwich right now? Can I wait two more hours? You know, I'm not in the midst of excess, right? Sumptuously, which is splendid and expensive looking. Hastily, which is with excessive speed or urgency or hurriedly. And I feel like that is our culture so often. We make these meals. We take two hours, one hour. I mean, we don't have time to cook meals for two hours. But, you know, we take an hour and we make a meal and we are done eating it within five to ten minutes. Unless you're the mom. Then everyone else is finished. Then you're coming and sitting down finally and then you get to eat. So it's 20 minutes. But still, we take, we do everything in such a hurried fashion as if it's going to go away. Rebecca Day Young says, oh, I want to first quickly tell you this. So each is a way of being mastered, right, by the pleasure of eating. So fastidious and sumptuous is in regards to what we are eating, right? It focuses on the particulars of that meal and the extravagance of that meal or the, you know, specialness of that meal. Ravenous, excessive, or hastily is regarding how we are eating. Rebecca Day Young says this, there is something sad, though, and a little bit pathetic about those last three that I just mentioned forms of gluttony. It's a bit undignified to find the type of creature God created as the crown of creation, able to perform piano concertos, invent spacecraft that takes us to the moon and back, and have spiritual fellowship with God himself, sitting hunched over a plate of food, mouth overstuffed, shoveling more in as if he can never get enough. But that's the point of the reflecting on the sort of creature that we are. Because we are human, so the pleasure of food can never completely satisfy. 
And I would say, she says that about those three things, but I'd say the same thing goes for the fastidious and sumptuous, is the reality is, is that when we're too focused on the food to fulfill us or to fix something in us, then we are not honoring the crown of creation that we ultimately are. And we're going to get this into this a little bit more in the next, in the first point. But So when we're overly picky or we're focused on too much, again, we're experiencing that same thing. So now that we've laid the groundwork, my first point is this, and I'll say it twice because it's very long. And I always make fun of Jason for having really long points. And then I realize that this, this point can only be captured with a lot of words. Okay? <laughs> so I'm sorry. So the first point is this. Gluttony degrades us into less than who we are and desensitizes our ability to engage the more we should be. So it's just as we read, here we are the crown of creation, and yet we've degraded ourselves to a place of less, just simply flesh and bones. Rather than capturing the truth of the more that God has for us, First Thessalonians 5.23 reminds us of this, that now, you, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're more than just body, we're spirit, soul, and body. There's this sharp reminder in Proverbs 21:17 that says when we engage essentially in the excess or the more or we focus our attention on food and this pleasure of food or this pleasure the pleasures of life that the one who loves pleasure will become poor whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. What is he saying? He's saying that when we focus on these things that we are destitute. We become destitute. Sometimes there's an actual ramification of that in poverty. Sometimes the ramification is an impoverished spirit. Sometimes it's a place where we're holding down the spiritual attributes that God longs to pull out of us because we're so focused on the pleasures that consume for a moment that we miss the ability to rise out of that need and into getting consumed by him. So Rebecca Day Young says this as well, what's vicious about gluttony is that these pleasures dominate everything that's important. The vice degrades us into being mere pleasure seekers. How much is this like us right now? In so many ways. This is what gluttony is really about. And then we see Paul who, we love to quote this verse when we want to get away with something, okay? In 1 Corinthians 6.12 he says, everything is permissible for me. We like that part. See, I have an excuse. Paul said it's okay. But not everything is beneficial. That means there's going to be consequences. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So when the thing you're giving permission to is mastering you, you have a problem. And then you're just simply bringing yourself down to a place of human flesh, flesh who lacks self-control. And I'll tell you, like, that's, that's my world so often is I'm like, oh, okay, am I allowing certain things like food or whatever it is that I struggle with to master me? Am I allowing this to take precedence over my relationship with God and who he's actually called me to be as the crown of creation? Luke 12, 23, I'm going to just speak to 23, says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So when one of these five fresh forms of gluttony entangles us, we are missing the more that is promised to us. The opportunities of engagement with our Savior who actually did give up all of his own personal pleasures to die for us that we might have eternal life. 
and that we wouldn't have to live in that humanity. Ultimately, he died and sacrificed all of his, everything about his life. He gave up all pleasure for us. So when we go back to this place of degrading ourselves, to simply filling our souls with pleasure that's temporary, you could see why it would become a sin. You could see why it would become an idol in our life. The second point is this. Gluttony fills the belly while disengaging the soul. Okay, so I can always tell when I'm spiritually malnourished because I've allowed pleasure to attempt to fuel me. And it's usually most obvious by a pink box on my kitchen countertop. You might be thinking, what is in a pink box on your kitchen countertop? Well, I'll tell you. It's crumble cookies. And here's my thing. I have deleted the Crumble app off my phone more times than I can count and reloaded it multiple times. This is the annoying thing about smartphones these days is they take 30 seconds, you can have it all. And then I have literally discontinued following Crumble on Instagram because their temptations every week and every day when they just show you the pictures of their glorious cookies... It's just too much. I have no self-control when it comes to crumble cookies. So ultimately, I realize that if I have those things available to me at any moment, then I will go to them so often. So, and I know that it only takes two clicks to get crumble cookies freshly delivered to your door. Hot and fresh. And I just did this on Friday night, so I know how quick it is, okay? So the reality is you might be going, what are you talking about? You're trying to make crumble cookies a sin? No, I'm not. What's the point? The point is the why. The point is that so often I'm lacking self-control in a moment. I know you guys don't struggle with this. This is just me. I get the microphone. I get to admit all my faults to you. Is Is that so often I want a temporary fix and a temporary pleasure that I can control. And I can control crumble cookies coming to my door. It's all access pass. Although they did just start charging $5 for delivery. So I think that will help because that's astronomical. But (laughs) so while your motives are probably pure when it comes to these things, I know that mine so often are not. And I would guess that as we sit in this room that I'm actually not alone. I know that if I, I can be free when I understand that the temporary leads to less in my life, and the forever we have in Christ is, and our relationship with him is what leads us to more. Glittering Vices says this, when we are gluttonous, our excessive desire is a marker of our need to fulfill ourselves, to provide for our own happiness and pleasure. Gluttony is not only about pleasure, but also about being able to find our happiness in a pleasure we think we can provide for ourselves. That's gluttony. I mean, gluttony is everywhere. It's not just about food. We were talk- I was talking to someone this morning, and they're like, ultimately, that kind of covers all the sins we've been talking about, is that we're gluttonous when it comes to sloth. We're gluttonous when it comes to lust. We're gluttonous. We just want more, more, more. Ecclesiastes 6, 7 reminds us that all of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. And then again in Luke 4, 4, we see that Jesus said that it is written that man must not live on bread alone. See, we will have enough pleasure of this world to find fulfillment in its completion. We will never have enough of that. The pleasures of this world are ours at best. Our issue is that we are racked with discontentment, ultimately. 
And gluttony is an attempt to feed your soul with the way you fill your stomach. It's an attempt to control, but again, we know who ultimately needs to be in control in our lives. So my third point is this. Gluttony causes us to try to reenact a moment of false contentedness and dismiss the current miracle in our lives. So we're going to look at the Jews who were pulled out of slavery by Moses in Egypt. So they were in slavery in Egypt. They, they got away from them, and then they started wandering the desert for a ridiculous amount of time because they were not very smart at certain moments, and they were very discontent, ultimately. And so they were wandering the desert, and Numbers 11, 4, 6 remind, tells us about a part, a part where they literally start seeking the past slavery. Let's read it. Numbers 11, 4 through 6, it says, The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? Can you just imagine the Israelites? They're literally probably stomping their feet like toddlers. Who's feeding us meat? Who's going to feed me? Meanwhile, manna is raining down from heaven every single day. We remember the free, this is what they're saying, we remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. I can just imagine. Now my appetite is totally gone because there's nothing here but this manna. Nothing. Who cares that it came down from heaven and was reproduced every single day from heaven? That's what the Israelites were doing. Ultimately, like desiring a past life of slavery for food, rather than seeing the miracle that was in front of them every single day in freedom. And this was the, the, the problem with the Israelites. And how much are we doing the same thing when we operate in our flesh and are seeking to go to a past of slavery? See, I was thinking through this the other day and I thought, well, if you're a girl and you've had a child, we kind of have gone through something sort of similar this sort of could fall apart analogy-wise, but we're going to talk about it. So, <laughs> so as a woman, you have a baby, and so you start out, obviously, by getting pregnant. That's the fun part, getting pregnant. And then you, have, you go through pregnancy. You go through pregnancy 10 months. It's not nine months, so whoever said that is wrong. It's 10 months. 10 months of pregnancy, and then you go through labor and delivery, which could be terrible or it could be wonderful. Either way, it's, it's ultimately exhausting. And you get this baby in your arms, and you just love that moment, right? It's amazing. But one of the first things most moms say is, I am not doing that again. Right? That was painful. That was too hard. I don't want to go do that again. And here's what we do so often, church, is so often we go through a life where God has led us to a better place, ultimately given us this great gift of freedom. So we'll just say that's the child right now, okay? <laughs> given us this great gift of freedom. And our problem is that when that gift gets a little bit funky and a little bit difficult, we want to go back to a past life of contentedness and a past life of momentary pleasure, whether that be a relationship or that be a, a sin we were entangled in, whether it be gluttony or lust, but we know it can please us for the moment, and we forget all the ramifications of that moment. So for the mom who just had a baby, two years down the road, they're like, oh, if, they, if you're like me. Um, our two-and-a-half-year-old is super cute right now, and she's getting so big, it's like she doesn't even need me anymore. And I keep saying, Jason, she doesn't even need me anymore. We need another one. <laughs> this is not gospel, and it's not happening, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> so it's like I forgot the whole past and how hard that was, right? I forgot all the pain of the past 
Now, this is where the analogy falls apart, okay, because pregnancy is beautiful and la, la, la. But you get what I'm saying. And so often I want to go back to the life of slavery, the life of my sin nature, the life of my flesh that Jesus pulled me out of and said, you don't have to go back there. I've saved you from that. I've rescued you from that. But because I can go there controlling the quick momentary pleasure, so often we'll run back to that. And at the end of the day, while God is just about to break through for a miracle for you, you're going to miss it all because you're willing to go back to slavery. And I would say that most of us are actually already sitting in the midst of a miracle. Most of us have been saved from a moment where Jesus picked us up out of the pit and brought us up into him and said, I've got you. And we've been saved from a moment of brokenness and hardship. And we have been, we have seen that hard, hard life. And we're here, and yet we still struggle because this is hard too. It's not quite as pretty as I thought it would be. Following Jesus is difficult, and we're willing to go back to that place. And forget about all the mess of it. It's like we forget as women that two years ago, that, oh yeah, I forgot, that was really hard. Now that I'm six months pregnant and my back hurts and I have to go to the bathroom every three minutes, like, oh yeah, that's why I didn't like this last time, right? And so, so often that's what we can do, and and we're in the midst of the miracle of God having saved us out of that pit, out of that place, out of that darkness, out of that addiction. We're in the midst of the miracle, and we can't see the miracle in front of us, because ultimately we're not making him Lord of our life still. We're struggling with identifying the miracle. So I would just encourage us that as we continue forward in our lives, that we, we focus on what is the miracle right now. Maybe it's that I'm just alive That's a miracle. Maybe it's that he has provided. I used to have more, but now I have more. I used to have more materially, but now I have more spiritually, and that is a miracle. So I'm going to quickly, we're going to have our team come up, and I'm going to quickly go through three things that you can think through while you're thinking about gluttony, if you ever go away from here thinking about it again. (laughs) But three guidelines about gluttony and kind of how to check yourself in the midst of it. And this is by Augustine. Um, The first one is this, double check that our desire for pleasure isn't interfering with our own physical good or the good of our health. So we just talked about that a little bit. We talked about how, like, we need to be able to have good, healthy habits when it comes to food. So we're double checking that our desire isn't for pleasure, but rather for good health. The second one is this, Double check that the good of others isn't being compromised by our cravings. So the table is a place of community. It's not meant to be a table of consuming. It's meant to be a table where we gather together and enjoy each other's company, enjoy community. And then if someone brings home a five-pound bag of peanut butter M&Ms and wrecks your community because that's a stumbling block, that's where the problem is. In case you're wondering, that was my husband. So the reality is we're not meant to be a stumbling block to each other. So if food becomes our idol and we gather just because of food, we have a problem. When we gather, we should be gathering for the good of others to be together, to not be compromised by our cravings, to not be the first one in the line every single time because you're afraid you're going to miss all the chocolate cake, okay? To make, take the biggest piece, that's the problem is and when, it, when it becomes that, it becomes an it becomes a bigger care over people in our lives. The third and last is this. 
that we need to realize that we are made for a spiritual purpose. We have gifts and a role to play in the world that God has given us. Therefore, we must eat according to our role. And I think of this a couple of years ago, about six years ago, um, Jason was preaching actually at our little um, warehouse in Murray where if you drove down the street, you might be concerned about whether you were in the right place or not. But we built church there and it was awesome. Um, But Jason was uh, actually doing this illustration where he had to crawl up and down a ladder. I mean, he's always laying down or crawling something. So like this is, he's doing this illustration And at the end of it, he was really like, well, he would say it was in the middle of it, but he was stricken by the reality that he was like gassed from that example. And at that point, neither of us were like trying to be healthy. We just were like living life. We felt really good and didn't really feel like we needed to change anything. But God was challenging that if you're going to continue this journey of reaching people for me, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fix this side. I need you to last the long haul. I need you to run this race. I need you to keep going. I need you to not quit. I need you to not get up because you're tired or exhausted. Or, and I need you to be healthy. And so many of us, we have little kids running around us. We have grandkids around us. We have a job that requires a lot of us just mentally or emotionally. And it's important that we're healthy because we're called for more. We're called to run a race that is a race that we can look back and say, and God can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't give up. And you weren't cut short because of how you lived your life. Right? So that's what he means by the fact that we ought to realize that we are made for a spiritual purpose. Remember, we are a spiritual being as much as we are a flesh and bones being. 